Hey, everybody, this is Mike from the Fantasy Footballers. Look, I know you're getting prepped. You're strategizing with tips and tricks how to take down a tournament in DFS with our boys, Borg and Betts, who are, look, they are simply the best at what they do for for DFS. But want to remind you about the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus, which is how you get in to the DFS Pass. We brought Borg and Betts on full-time to teach you DFS from the, the holistic approach that we use on the Fantasy Footballers podcast. We want you to be informed and be equipped and be a profitable player in 2021. And the DFS Pass is full of difference-making articles, tools like the Vegas reports, roster percentage outlooks, and our lineup optimizer. We had a number of subscribers win life-changing money last year. That is no joke. I saw the screenshots. And we want you to be part of that crew this year. Instead of a monthly subscription, start cashing weekly now. UltimateDraftKit.com for a one-time only purchase. It's the lowest price in the industry. Again, you just one time. It is one time you buy that Ultimate Draft Kit Plus, the UDK Plus, and you get the DFS Pass all year. Now let's get to the show. Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Well, it's August. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we are here and it is time for another episode of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. I'm Kyle Borgannoni and I'm joined this week by my host, Matthew Big Dog Betts. Betts. Tell the people how you are. Oh, man. Uh, sweaty. Very nervous. <laughs> you and I, we're going to talk about it in a sec, are drafting a big dog tournament team together on Underdog Fantasy, which is what Kyle is referencing. And I'll tell you what, the sweat is very real when you have that much stake uh, in the game. But uh, I'm doing well, man. I'm excited. Like you said, August is here. We had preseason football last night on Thursday. So uh, I'm officially in football mode and ready for week one. I want to stop. Let's just talk about that big Big dog squad because it's a step up for other best ball entries. You know, you and I usually do like $5 ones for the puppy uh, or $25 for the best ball mania. So you and I just said, let's go in together for the people. So it's a $250 entry. We split that and we got the sixth pick and there's no better way to do the big dog tournament bets than to ride the big dog himself. So at six pick, we took Derrick Henry. He slid probably three or four picks. He usually goes around pick three. So why don't you tell the people where we're at? Because we're still in the middle of drafting. Yeah, uh, to get the big dog in the big dog tournament, it feels like a cheat code. And to get him at six, I feel like we're going to have a pretty unique roster build because not a lot of people have him at six. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, at quarterback, we went with one of the elites. We got Kyler Murray. He slipped a little bit. We had Derrick Henry, of course, like we just said. Najee Harris and Chase Edmonds looking for that correlation with Edmonds as the pass catcher out of the backfield with, with Kyler. Um, we also took an elite tight end in Darren Waller. We were hoping to get uh, Kittle, who Kyle has been vocal about being higher on than Waller this season. But the wide receivers, man, <laughs> they are making me nervous. We did not go elite wide receiver early, so we have... Adam Thielen as our wide receiver one. We've got Debo, AB, Ruggs, and Emmanuel Sanders currently still in the middle of the draft. But I think our approach is saying like we have the elite running backs in place, the elite onesie positions of Kyler 
and Darren Waller at quarterback and tight end respectively. So let's just hammer wide receiver and hope that we get into some spike weeks here and embrace the variance. But we'll see how it turns out, man. It's been a fun draft so far. I think the best part of doing this draft is the conversation back and forth. And you can do this with somebody else if you want to join forces for a team, for a buy-in. Um, we're not going to really do any other of these. It's a, I mean, that's a big buy-in for us in terms of tier what we play. So it's been fun going back and forth. And we've mentioned before with best ball, when you're drafting, because you want to be first, you have to assume you're right. So for us, I don't really have that much Derrick Henry. I don't have that much Darren Waller. So it's kind of helpful for me to hedge maybe some of my other teams. But we're saying with this build, hey, we think these guys are top 15 running backs, you know, throwing in Chase Edmonds. We have three of those guys. We have Waller, who can easily be the tight end one. We have Kyler, who we drafted as saying he can be the QB one. And then we're just going to have a volume of receivers. And there's one player we still need on this roster to complete it, other than, of course, Terrace Marshall, um, because we have rugs. We have Darren Waller, so the last thing we need to do... Send in the car. Send in the car. I think we can wait. (laughs) I know for sure someone is going to take him just unstacked and make zero sense about it, and that's just what happens in underdog. But yeah, we we tried to get the double stack there. Of course we did, so we'll see if we can take him as our QB too. Derek Carr, like, say what you want about the guy. Is he a good NFL quarterback? The numbers say probably better for that than fantasy, but he does have those spike weeks like we saw in the past. So we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, man, I'm excited about this team. I think it's going to go uh, pretty far. Probably will take on the top prize if I had to guess. And we'll track and see if that team's just done. The other day when we got news for a second that Najee was hurt, you and I were both like, all right, team screwed. And he came back in practice the next play. So time to get a I'm part-time ex- job at Starbucks. It's... It's fun sweating this though. Like it's a different level in terms of financial commitment, but also doing this together where you and I are kind of weighing who's going to be there. So if you've never done that before, it might be a fun part of the season to get in with a friend and draft the team. But let's talk about week one because last week we had the salaries released. This is our quick question before we get into the meat of the episode, but we got the week one salaries for DraftKings. And for a lot of people, they jumped right in. You and I have kind of said, let's slow that down. We'll, you know, we'll have an entire episode on this. Like we're going to spend tons of time just on the salaries, roster construction. We got about a month left, but what are your reactions from the week one salaries? You put out an article, we called it the way too early look at week one salaries. Was there any takeaways that you saw in terms of positions and maybe who's underpriced? Yeah, that's in the DFS pass to go check that out. It is absolutely free. Um, for me, there's a couple of guys that really stick out as far as being values. And I wrote up players for each position that you can check out in the article. But I just want to highlight Antonio Gibson, right? This is a guy that's going consistently on underdog in the middle of the second round in redraft leagues. I imagine in a month or so when people are doing their um, their home leagues, he's going to be probably at the back end of the second, maybe that two, three turn. But regardless, like he is a top, what, 25 player, top 20, top 30 player, maybe you could say in most formats of fantasy at this point in the season. On DraftKings, he is priced as the RB18 on a slate that does not include Ezekiel Elliott. I don't see how that price makes sense given the volume and the uh, excitement that you could have about a player like this. I wrote it up saying like, if you want exposure to Gibson, I feel like this is the cheapest he'll be all season. 5,900 just doesn't make sense going up against the Chargers. And there's also 
A little more hype, more steam coming out about him potentially getting work in the passing game this year, which we know he can do from his college days. So I'm pretty excited about Gibson at 5,900 in week one. Yes, I think that's a, I'll stay with the same theme about running backs. And we know the guys at the top are going to be, you know, super high salaried CMC, Dalvin Cook, whatnot. But if you go a little bit lower in that next tier, Nick Chubb is only 7,200. They play the Chiefs, and the presumed game script is obviously the Browns are going to be playing from behind, but the Chiefs were the worst red zone defense in the league last year. So if you want to flip the script and say, hey, maybe the Browns get ahead and they take control, I think that's a way to kind of shift some of those you know, builds. So Nick Chubb, 7,200, and Austin Eckler is 7,000, and I Austin Eckler is going to be someone we're going to love to be playing all year long in DraftKings because it's full PPR. On this episode, we'll break down DraftKings and how to beat DraftKings, how to win at it. But Austin Eckler is one of those cheat code players because he can rack up 10 receptions really easily. He can get two touchdowns. Uh, He's like a wide receiver in the running back position. So I like him a lot. Any other takeaways? Yeah, I got to highlight Calvin Ridley. I mean, last year down the stretch, if you recall, he was priced well north of $8,000 on DraftKings as far as his weekly salary several weeks in a row. Week one, DK comes out and they put him at 7900 That feels like a misprice against, and, and I'm not afraid to admit this, my awful secondary uh, of my Eagles that I'm a fan of. We talk a lot about cornerback matchups, and there's some research coming out that like that doesn't really matter that much. The bottom line is Calvin Ridley is an absolute stud. He is going to be the alpha in this target offense. I could see him coming out and finishing the slate as the wide receiver one. He feels underpriced against Philly in a game that has a decent total. Uh, and you've seen him have these huge weeks with that Julio in the lineup. Clearly, Julio Jones now in Tennessee. So love Ridley. Uh, if you want to spend up in week one at wide receiver, he's my preferred play. As of early August, of course, subject to change. We need to have something on the line for that game because it's my Falcons versus your Eagles. Two teams that if they go to 500, we're, we're pretty happy with it. With the Falcons, we're really happy. We want them to get to eight wins. But yeah, let's put let's figure that out. Something on the line that you and I can can kind of do there for that game week one. And last thing I'll mention is the quarterbacks. We love spinning up. And last year, that was the optimal strategy to spend up at quarterback at DraftKings. But if you want to go super cheap, Sam Darnold is $5,000. That is super cheap for a starting quarterback. And it's a revenge game. So if that means anything to you, bets a revenge game against the Jets. And then Baker Mayfield's only 5,900. Once again, if you wanted to flip the script of that Chiefs-Browns game week one, I don't mind going there with Baker. So before we jump into the episode about how to win at DraftKings, want to make sure you understood with the Ultimate Draft Kit Plus, it's a one-time only fee. And we're trying to take the same approach. I, I was messaging with Andy we're taking the exact same approach that the main footballers podcast. And that's like a holistic approach. If you were to ask Betts and I, are we film guys? Are we analytics guys? Are we match it? Like we would just say, yes, like we love all those things. And we think that's the best part of what we get to do with the DFS pass. You get all the kind of tips and tricks that we get to give, but also there's awesome tools such as the Vegas reports, the roster percentage outlook, which is new this year, an optimizer. And we just think it's a really great tool. So, Betts, any plugs you want to give for the UDK Plus, which includes the DFS pass before we get into it? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've said this all summer. The price is just obscene. Uh, how cheap it is, and you pay one time, you get it through the entire year. 
Um, I love playing playoff like NFL playoff DFS is my favorite slates to play as the season goes on when you're bummed because your home league is done in you know December. Uh, no, we are going through February through the Super Bowl, so you get that one price all the way through February. Absolutely a steal for the DFS pass, and it's basically just like, hey, you want the UDK? Just throw on the DFS pass there. Uh, pretty like unbelievably cheap. So go check it out. Very excited about what we're going to offer this year. I'm quite well, thank you. No, clearly you are not. No rational person would do as you have done. Explain yourself. That's an epic drop, by the way. <laughs> that goes for a solid like 30 seconds. I mean, you go to the bathroom, come back, make a coffee, <laughs> whatever you need going. to do. That is a great, it's explain yourself, usually from those episodes, but I wanted to pull it because it's going to be buried in the archives as we move into the season. So this week, we are giving an overview of DraftKings. And if you hear that, you're like, okay, I already know how to play. I understand that. Uh, one of the main things we want to emphasize is how to beat DraftKings. And DraftKings is different than FanDuel. It's different than other sites. It's different than best ball strategies. Bets and I have done a lot of research here looking at the Vegas lines, looking at salaries specifically to DraftKings. And we're going to give you some tips of what we found over the last couple of years and our research this summer that we think you can add to your process and we think it's super valuable. So we're going to start simple and talk about the format and the scoring overview, but then you and I are also going to add a little bit. So I've done a ton of research the last couple of days about DraftKings bonuses and I'm still in the middle of this. I've looked at every single game that was on uh, 2020 schedule and I found out all the bonuses I found out every single player and how they matched up and how likely they were to get a 300 yard bonus and in other bonuses. So I think this is something that's going to give people an edge, but why don't you quickly go over the format for DK and why that, why there's a certain position that matters so much. I would love to. Yes. This format on DraftKings is kind of your standard lineup. One quarterback you're playing two running backs. You're playing three wide receivers. Of course, you've got to get that tight end in there. One flex, and you're playing a defense. The thing to highlight here is that it is full PPR scoring, which is different than FanDuel, which is half PPR. So we get full PPR. You'll talk a little bit more about the bonuses, but they do exist, especially which we'll talk about more for pass catchers. There's a 100-yard receiving bonus. Same thing for running backs, 100-yard rushing bonus, and 300 yards for the quarterbacks to throw as far as their passing yard total to get the bonus, which is an extra, I believe, three points. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kyle. Correct. The The point that is most important to take away from how DraftKings matters when you're building your lineup and to be, I guess, optimal, so to speak, and there will be differences based off the slate and players available to us when it makes sense to play running back in the flex. But the vast majority of the time, I'm trying to play a wide receiver in my flex spot. So essentially, I'm saying... I'm looking to play four wide receivers every week, if possible, if it makes sense, if the salary makes sense, and the player is a good play that week, if that makes sense. The reason being, when we're talking about how these players score, in general, when you look at like a graph of how running backs perform, they have some better weeks than others. Let's say someone goes out and gives you 25 points instead of like 18 or 19. Okay, that's great. I want the guy that's going to go out there and give me like 35 DraftKings points 
on a huge spike week, which we don't see that from running backs that often. We see it from wide receivers, especially because they're able to rack up those full PPR receptions and that 100-yard reception bonus a lot more easily. We we talk about winning the flex in redraft leagues, and you hit it right on the head. It's finding players that can have spike and upside weeks, and even better if they're a player that correlates in that game. We've talked about correlation a lot, talked about stacking and whatnot. But bonuses, three points doesn't sound like that much. But I want to give you a list of some players, bets, And all I want you to do at the end of this list is just tell me your gut reaction about these players. I'm not going to tell you anything else. You ready? This list of bros. Dwayne Haskins, Jake Luton, Gardner Minshew, Mason Rudolph, Nick Mullins, and Brandon Allen. What can you tell me about that? those bros? They are elite. Elite at fantasy, <laughs> elite in the NFL. Um, probably crushed JV high school football, if I'm being honest. Uh, no, they're not good quarterbacks. They're, they're not. That's the takeaway. They, they are definitely not good quarterbacks. They're good at holding a clipboard, but they were all 300-yard bonus bros last year. All of those guys got a 300-yard bonus at some point in the season. Lamar Jackson... As great as he is, as much as of a cheat code, he never hit the 300-yard bonus, which is wild last year. And the other teams, the Jets and the Giants, uh, never hit 300 yards either. And it matters so much because it, it does distance you because quarterbacks are clearly correlated with the wide receivers. So if you're stacking them, you're also giving your chance to basically get six points from the 300-yard bonus and the 100-yard receiving bonus. So those matter a ton. And I looked at last year, um, the correlation, the weeks where there was a lot of 300-yard passing games, there wasn't a lot of 100-yard rushing games, which makes a lot of sense. That actually had a lot of negative correlation. But here's what's even more wild, bets: The last three years, there have been exactly 132 games, 132 quarterback games that have hit 300 yards. Is that weird? The exact same number three years in a row. That's eerily uh, creepy. I don't like that. What What's going on over there? I know. It's, I looked at over the last five years, 300-yard games, 100-yard rushing games, 100-yard receiving games. And I'm going to post some of this in an article about bonuses and DK bonuses. But it's really important to take advantage of that in DraftKings. Obviously, we want as many points as possible. But it shifts our approach because we're shooting for players that can distance themselves. And 300 yards doesn't sound like a big deal. But it just doesn't happen every single week. Like, not everybody's doing it. Like, there was weeks last year where it was like six guys, three guys, five guys, not the food place, four guys. Like, there was weeks where it was just, (laughs) if you didn't hit that 300-yard bonus, then likely your quarterback didn't get there. Now, there's other weeks where it was like 10 or 11 guys and everybody's hitting 300 yards. not a big deal. But it matters in terms of distancing yourself in a tournament and if you don't have a quarterback that can run the ball like Kyler or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, you have to find these 300-yard passers. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I, I wrote up an entire article on the website about how to approach quarterbacks this year in DFS. I'll be doing that for every position, so check that out. But that's exactly what I was finding, too, is like these rushing quarterbacks, they just – they're, they're – beating the field almost every time because of the 100-yard rushing bonus because we just know in general that rushing for quarterbacks is more advantageous and you know like you said like these 300-yard passers they're not that common they're not as 
uh, normal, I guess you should say. So if you can find one of those and you don't get a rushing quarterback, you almost have to do it uh, because of the fact that you're you're trying to compete with these huge ceilings. So you're basically behind the eight ball there if you're not playing a quarterback who can hit this bonus with regularity. Pat Mahomes, for example, Josh Allen, etc., or someone that's going to run the football a ton. With receivers hitting that 100-yard bonus, you know, we we think of the long plays like, okay, give me an MVS 80-yarder and I'm there. But there were 205 games last year where a pass catcher, so running back, wide receiver, tight end, 205 of them where they hit 100 yards. And the average targets for those players was 10 and a half targets. So these aren't just coming from MVS types. They're coming from players that, that get the targets we want. And they're the ones that are, you know, hitting the 100 yard bonus. So don't try to chase. I mean, obviously we want those players that are like that Henry Ruggs week. Remember that was like two for 108, something like that. Like those are awesome, but that's just more of the outlier. So uh, we'll give some more info on the bonuses and how to approach them and what to look like. But they're, they're a big part of this. But let's go through a couple of quick tips for the players. And this is something that you spend a lot of time on uh, looking at the Vegas line. So this first tip I'm going to say is don't go into DraftKings blindly. Well said, <laughs> have a, have a plan. Yeah. That, that's very real. Like you can't just open the app and be like, all right, here we go. Um, it, it can be overwhelming. There's a lot of different contests and salaries don't make sense and, and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I say don't go in blindly. And the reason we say that is like, have an idea of what you're looking for. What I mean by that specifically is tune into our Tuesday show every year in season. That is brand new this year. I'm very excited about it. 15, 20 minutes, a little bit shorter. And it's going to give you like our take of the slate, the first glance. Here are the games that are drawing our eye. Um, here's why. And it's mostly because of the Vegas total in the game and the implied total for a team. So if you're not really into betting or anything like that, here's what I mean by that. Each week, Vegas puts out, you know, this game is expected to hit 50 points. There might be, you know, a team on the, the, the favored side that's given 27 implied points. The other team is lower. In general, we just know fantasy scoring correlates with the favored team. There's a great research article on the site from Matt DeSorbo looking at that. Go check it out. But basically, we can have an idea in our head like, okay, if we're just looking for the best plays, who does Vegas think is going to score a lot of points and who's favored in that game? In general, and of course, there's many caveats to this, but in general, that's a great first place to start. I write up an article every week in the DFS Pass looking exactly at that. Yeah, DeSorbo, guys, if you haven't looked at his stuff, he's right now in a PhD program at Harvard. So he runs some crazy data through our system. And he found since 2000, so last 20 years, the favored team wins 66% of the time. And the pregame spread has a 0.42 correlation with the actual final spread. So it's actually not that bad. I think the biggest takeaway for me is for cash. It's more important to pick players that are favorites than trying to guess the game script narrative, right? Like we're not that great at that. We think we are, but we're really not. We talked about it. I think the example we gave was like the chiefs and the Raiders game from last year where we were like, all right, the Raiders are going to get smashed here. Like don't bother playing them. And like Derek Carr was like the winning Millie maker quarterback that week, right? Like we're not good at projecting how game scripts are going to go, but we know that there is correlation in a positive way with how Vegas projects teams to perform, meaning their implied total is very helpful. Send in the car, send in the car. That's what we should have done that week. Everyone should have done that, but they failed to. I wanted to give you, 
some data. I was hanging out in the spreadsheets. I was in the sheets, pe- people. And uh, <laughs> looking at last year, I looked at every single Vegas line. So every single line from all the games last year. And what's interesting is that the 50 total for Vegas is kind of like the magic number that attracts all of us. Like it's like we are moths and we are attracted to a 50 game total that says I need to play this game because I see the number 50. Well, last year, games that had a 50 uh, 50 total or the over under, it hit under almost 61% of the time and it hit over just under 35% of the time. So what, what does that mean, Betts? What does that mean for the people? I think it tells us that there's probably a little bit of an edge in at times fading those games that are just very, very, very popular. Like there are weeks throughout the year where Kyle or I will have conviction of a game that we're like, I don't see how it gets there. Like there's definitely more downside to this than upside. And I think the data is showing us that there's a small edge in if you have that conviction in maybe getting less exposure to that game or just going full fade on it in general you could end up on the right side of that, especially in tournaments. So it's really interesting that you found that stat because I feel like last year, one of our strategies was like, okay, who has the highest total this week? Up, oh, it's 50. Let's just go there every time. And I feel like there's value in these next tier of games that we're going to talk about there, the high 40s for sure. And just betting in general, people make money on the unders. TV makes a lot of money on the overs. Like we, we remember the overs so much, you know, like we'll never forget that Rams and Chiefs game because it just went bananas. And that was such a fun game to watch a couple years ago. But the unders are actually the sharper move. And last year, I just gave the data, but 61% of the time, if a game had a total of 50 or above, it went under. And then the games under 50, it was a little bit more split. And that could be really easy just to kind of chop that up into games over 50 we like and games under 50 we don't like. But I dove a little bit further into this, and I think this is a really good takeaway for people, if you looked at games last year where the total was just a step below 50, so I looked at games with a total of 47 to 49 and a half, they did the exact opposite. They hit the over almost 58% of the time. So how can we use that information to our advantage in DFS? Yeah, I think if we look at this sample, and I think that there's also maybe some more variance associated with this too. Like we're talking about games that are in this sample, like 51 or 52 points total, or like 49 and a half. Like it's not that much different, but there's just something, like you said, inherent about seeing the number 50 in the Vegas the Vegas total and saying that I have to play those players. But this data is showing us that the over hits more on those kind of second tier games more than it does on those top tier games, so to speak. And I feel like the roster percentage probably is not going to follow that this year. So it's definitely a way I think in tournaments that I'll be looking to get a little bit different, still have access to good plays that these teams are still going to have a pretty healthy implied total um, at 49 and a half or 48, but people will flock to those 50 games. And sometimes that will be right. And sometimes you're going to be wrong. That's, that's just the way this is. But I think that we are, are recognizing a small edge in those games and it will help us. I think if we combine that with our other DFS strategies this year, definitely in tournaments anyway. This is how you create leverage. You are saying, I want to stack, you know, a game that's at 47. So it's it's close, but, you know, you can easily lump in 47 with like 44, 45, like in that tier. And let's say there's a couple of games above 50. We're not saying fade those games. We're just giving you the opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to go all in 
on this game that has a 47 total because I think it can hit the over and last year it did. And eventually for a tournament, I think that's how you'll have a quarterback, you know, a couple of pass catchers where everyone else loaded up on the, you know, 50 over game. So it's just something to, to use to your advantage uh, and not going in blindly. And then we mentioned this the last two weeks, but our roster percentage projections, it's important to do your research first, your process and figure out what works for you. And then when it comes to Friday or Saturday, you get to kind of couple in, okay, who's a popular play? I think the roster percentage too, just to kind of piggyback on that, is maybe the last piece of advice I would say in this whole scheme. Like, I'm not going into the DFS pass to look at like, all right, who's the 3% guy this week? I'm looking at the game environment. I'm looking at the trends and usage of recent weeks with certain wide receivers or running back touches. All that sort of stuff always comes first. We're saying like the roster percentage is kind of the way that you look at this as the final piece of the puzzle and then saying, okay, like here's where I think there's leverage this week. We know this guy's going to be popular. Maybe I want to fade him, maybe not. Maybe he fits this 50 game implied total that we're talking about or not. Like that whole thing matters. But for me, roster percentage definitely comes last. And we did an entire episode. I think it was two episodes ago, Kyle, maybe three. Um, Kyle Shaking said yes to two, two episodes ago talking about how to use this in general. So check that out if you're looking for more information on it. And that's when you get to put on your game theory hat, which I feel like that looks like a hat that Dwight Schrute would wear. Like it's like a definitely like D&D type of like, you know, hat that someone 100%. would wear. Maybe we need to, I need 100%. to buy one of those to get myself in a game theory mode on Friday and Saturday. But that's when you figure out who's chalk and who's leverage and how you can actually look at this as more than who are the good plays, but in this environment, in this game where there are lots of other people playing, how can I set myself apart and, and get unique? So make sure you check out that. Check out the stacking episode. Those are the ways to not go in blindly. We also have a checklist that you can look at as well. But tip number two to win at DraftKings is something that is a mental game, and that's about not overvaluing defensive matchups. What do we mean by that? Yeah, I think for the last maybe like five years or so, thinking about fantasy football in general, there's just something so like you have so much more confidence in your play. If you log into whatever app you're playing on and you see like the number 32 or 31 next to the opponent that you have, like, oh, sweet, they're going up against the Texans this week. This is a guaranteed smash play. This can't go wrong. We're finding that the data actually shows that for certain positions, it doesn't really matter. And I think the biggest one to take away from this is that wide receiver matchups with you know these uh, teams that are supposedly quote-unquote good against wide receivers it doesn't correlate especially the elite wide receivers like those guys just win and I think that that is a way to create a lot of leverage because people talk about matchups all the time you'll you hear us talk about it I'm sure if you go back to last year's episodes we talked about it all the time the guys talk about it on the main show it's a piece of the puzzle but I think in general I'm looking to fade that more this year and just trust that the player is A, talented, B, has a good salary that makes sense for his upside, and then C, kind of fits this game environment that we're looking for, rather than being like, all right, find the 32s, find the 31s, and plug and play. I think a lot of times we create this false dichotomy. Like, is it about the offense or is it about the defense? And and almost like you almost have to come up with this take of like, defense doesn't matter at all. Well, defense matters, but we're saying that offense matters much, much more. Like, that's what's actually better than then maybe 
you know, any other thing you can look at, especially those red and green. Like that's that's the part that plays with your mind. And I'm going to get a direct quote from another shout out to Matt DeSorbo. He came out with an article called Making the Most of Matchups, where no big deal. Just looked at every matchup the last 20 years. Once again, he's a he's a wizard. Unreal. Unreal. He said this. He said this. When predicting how an offense will do, it's more important to know how that offense is performing, not how the defense it is facing has performed against other offenses, which is a huge point. Like the last five weeks, that's what he looked at. Like the last five weeks for each team, how did they play defensively? How did the offense play? If they didn't play each other, like if you don't have that in the matchups, then it doesn't really matter as much because they played a bunch of other teams. So they might be, you know, 32nd against tight ends over the last five weeks, but it's because they played Kelsey Waller and they gave up another big game and that skewed everything. So it's really important just to look at the offense and see who are the players because that's going to matter more than defense. I think the biggest, like one great example of this is looking at like quarterback position, I think in general too, like we get so excited about like, oh, this could be the week that this 5k quarterback goes off. Like, look who he's playing. He's playing the Lions. And it's like, think about what you're doing in like redraft. Like you're not going to not play Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Lamar or these guys that are studs just because they're playing the Patriots or something like that, right? Like we know that these offenses, they win more because they are just good. And we want to trust those offenses rather than being like, all right, well, man, the Lions are terrible, but they're taking on the Texans this week. Like, this could be it. I don't want to be in that trap this year. And I feel like last year I got there a little bit too much. Another data point he had is that most teams that have a top running back, they are the ones that are the most resilient to defensive matchups. So you know, last year it was like the Bucks. If you saw the Bucks, uh, you're like, okay, well, I don't want to run against them. And if you have a good running game, it's still going to carry points because a lot of times the best fantasy running backs are also catching the ball. So fading running back matchups of the best player is not something we're going to do. I'm only going to fade players like Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry if they're just too popular. We know that Derrick Henry can take on any defense. It's not really that big of a deal. But if he's too popular, that's when I will uh, gladly fade him. But wide receivers, I feel like is the one that we think about the most with matchups because there's like those individual cornerback matchups. And I feel really conflicted because I write an article each week in the DFS pass about wide receiver and cornerback matchups. Like I, this is what I spend time doing. I'm not saying throw this away. I'm going to be doing this article every single week, but it's, it's just valuable to know that not every single player is just stuck in the same role and that they move around a lot. Do you feel like a lot of people, if they're starting out in football and fantasy football, they just kind of peg in players as like they're matched up on each other. So I need to fade this guy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like think about Devonta Adams, right? Like I remember there was a narrative in the playoff slate when they took on the, uh, the Rams this past year. If you recall, like, I don't know, like he's got Jalen Ramsey. Um, this could be iffy. Like, it's Devonta Adams. Like they're designing ways to get him the ball, no matter what, no matter who they're playing. It could be against Deion Sanders. Like they're gonna get Devonta Adams the ball. They're going to figure it out. He moves into the slot. He's on the perimeter. He's running motion across the line. Like you just kind of trust that these offenses know what they're doing with these good elite players. So yeah, I feel like maybe I use it as a tiebreaker with cornerback matchups, like for these middling guys or like lower tier guys. But 
I'm not fading top tier wide receivers against, uh, you know, quote unquote, good defenses against wide receivers. And the Packers were, you know, so smart last year to basically say, hey, why don't we get our best player the ball in situations where he has the advantage in terms of his size and in the red zone. So Adams ran 39% of his routes in the slot. Like that was way up. Like it was in 15 most of his career. And that's why I have some worry about Kenny Galladay. If you look at his time in Detroit, it's basically been the same thing every single year. Like he's slowly trended to, he's an outside wide receiver and they haven't been creative. And I just don't trust Jason Garrett to be creative at all with oh, anyone. Much why would less, you say that Kyle? Come on. What, what, I, what in his history would ever make you say that? You're right. You're right. I need to <laughs> forget every, I mean the giants, good Lord, what is going to happen with that team sidebar real quick? Like, are we going to ever talk about them? I want Daniel Jones to be a thing because he's fun for fantasy. But I feel like right now the sentiment in fantasy world is just fade the Giants completely. I mean, their top wide receiver has a hamstring issue. Their top running backs coming off of a significant knee injury. They're a bad team. It's Jason Garrett. Yeah, I no, not for me. One of maybe the worst offensive line in football and the tough guy, Joe Judge approach, I feel like is people are just going to hate that. Like, ugh. yeah, let me let me give one more example about this wide receiver cornerback matchup and ask you a couple question bets. So Jarvis Landry, when you think of Jarvis Landry, where has he played most of his career? He is a slot wide receiver. He is, he, and maybe the best slot wide receiver in the game the last, I don't know, five, six years. Like he's been racking them up. Him and Juju in terms of like targets have been the dudes there. Last year, Jarvis Landry saw about 25 slot snaps a week, okay? So clearly was the slot player that you would target and say, okay, when I'm looking in the matchups, what does the other team do against the slot? All right, Allen Robinson, when you think of Allen Robinson, what type of wide receiver is he? I think most people would say he's probably a perimeter wide receiver, but he moves all over the field. For sure. Like he moves around a ton. He would see at least 10 fewer slot snaps. But if you saw a wide receiver cornerback matchup chart, you'd see Allen Robinson first as an outside receiver that definitely gets some play in the slot. So despite there being a huge discrepancy in terms of their snaps, Allen Robinson saw more targets in the slot than Jarvis Landry last year. He caught three touchdowns in the slot compared to zero for Landry. And yet Landry had five total touchdowns and, and Robinson had six. So in other words, you look at these players and we kind of know what their roles are, but the way it played out in the field was that Landry didn't have his big games from what he did in the slot. It was what he did on the outside. And Robinson was the exact opposite. When he was in the slot, he was torching people. So please, please do not overvalue defensive matchups, especially at cornerback. We're going to more talk about in this system and in this, this secondary, what are they giving up? And then uh, how does it create leverage? So that's what I'll be doing in that article. But let's go to our third tip. And I'm going to let you take this one. Uh, it's about using late swap. Yeah, late swap is something that I think is very underutilized in today's DFS game. Um, and especially, you know, like high stakes players are doing it way more. But if you're talking about a casual league or, you know, one of these lower stake um, contests that you're only entering a couple bucks to like to get in there, most of those people are going to be like your buddies, your friends, these 
guys that are and gals that are just like, I just want to have some fun this week. I'm going to set my lineup. It's 1245. I'm done. And they'll just hang out until eight o'clock and just see what happened. Well, we, the nice thing about late swap is like the NFL splits up the slate into one o'clock and four o'clock games if you're on the East Coast. And granted, they're always lopsided. Like there's like 10 games at one and there's like three at four. But still, there is opportunity to have information going into four o'clock. And basically you're saying, I already know what happened with these guys early in the in the slate. Here's how I can kind of create some leverage on what just happened. And what I mean by that is using roster percentage. So let's say that there's like a really chalky play everyone's on, or there's a really chalky game stack in the early slate, the one o'clock games. And you know that they kind of are projected to have a great game. You're like, man, I'm scared to fade this. But if I do fade that because I know it's going to be popular and it goes south, you know a lot of other people that are playing that stack are behind the eight ball, whereas you can feel way more confident about what you're having in the late stack to not have to worry about it. So for me, I feel like the uh, the ability to late swap is really important because you just have information that you didn't have two, three hours ago when you entered your lineups at one o'clock. I think, I think it's important and something that I didn't use at all. Like I was exactly like you were saying where, all right, set my lineups. Oh, I'm not cashing. But you're giving yourself the opportunity to just have a different lineup depending on where you're at and how many points you have. But also, if you want to give yourself some flexibility, let that later player be in the flex if you're not using your flex in that early slate. And you can basically switch it up and say, I want a different build than anyone else. So I agree with you. Late swap is sounds simple, but it's something people don't use a lot. Let's go through a couple other quick points and we'll finish with correlation and contest selection. We've talked a lot actually about correlation, about stacking and which positions are kind of undervalued. But we looked at the correlation between salary and fantasy points. And shout out to Evan, uh, Adam Levitan. We got some of this data from one of his articles. But there's a very clear takeaway in terms of what correlates between DK salary and fantasy points. Yeah, and we found that the highest correlation here in terms of Adam's article that he wrote up, which was so good, go check it out, um, it's at the quarterback position. So it's basically telling us like, yeah, it's fun to spend down on these like, you know, these guys like Sam Darnold and gosh, Daniel Jones and those kind of guys. And every now and then they'll have a game where you're like, man, I look so smart. But a lot of the time that is going to be wrong. Um, I don't know that I'm willing to say that we need to spend up a lot at quarterback to play like the quarterback, one of the quarterback two on the slate. But I think just in general, I'm not going to be as willing to spend down this year because we know that the salary correlates the strongest with how these quarterbacks perform. So I found a cutoff in the article that I wrote for Millie Maker and for the um, the Wildcat, which is another um, tournament on DraftKings. It's in the, the DFS pass. Go check it out. Talking about like, you know, 6,700, 6,800, 6,900, somewhere in there seems to be about the right place that I'm probably not going to be going below like 63 to 500 most weeks at the quarterback position. Yeah, you wrote up an article about how to attack the quarterback position. And that's something in the past that I think a lot of us said, I don't want to pay up at quarterback. I'd rather pay up at running back and wide receiver. But it's just super important to see that last year it was pretty clear like that was a consistent strategy that wanted for people and Adam also looked at millimaker roster percentages and DK points and the biggest takeaway between both of these kind of correlation studies is that defense really just doesn't correlate that much so chalky defenses 
and defenses that are expensive usually usually are ones uh, that you want to fade because defense has so much variance. So uh, any other takeaways from uh, the correlations? I would say as well, tight end. I mean, it's it's the lowest in terms of the skill position groups. Quarterback strongest, then running backs, then wide receivers, and then tight end. And I think that's why you and I talk about every week, like, we're either spending up to get these ceiling guys or like, who cares? You know, like there's not a lot of strength. I would say to these like 4k guys to be able to reach the ceiling of a Travis Kelsey of a Darren Waller, Kittle, etc. So like, what's the point in wasting the salary? Because we know the, the correlation isn't the strongest there. So I would say that's just one other takeaway, like defense correlation, not good. Tight ends, not great. Quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, pretty good. Let's finish off with this last DraftKings tip, and it's about contest selection, which I feel like is a common question. We get this a lot, and it's one of the things that we talked about in our DFS mistakes episode, but if you're going to talk about contest selection, you got to talk about rake, and if you don't know this, for a long time, I would just play DraftKings blindly and just say, look at the possible winnings, look at the prizes, and over the years, this is part of the process of figuring out which contest you actually want to play in because the sites, you know, they charge a fee. That's how they make money. And DraftKings is a hashtag sponsor of fantasy footballers. So we are fans and we totally get it. And that's where we play most of the time. But a lot of times, some of these big tournaments, the rake or what, you know, what the sites take is close to 15%, which is a lot. And the way you just figure out rake is pretty simple. It's what's the total buy-in minus the total prize. And then you divide it by the total buy-in. So for instance, if you're playing the first down tournament, which is a dollar entry and one that I actually do play a lot uh, because it's a dollar and it's 20 max. So I actually can say I'm going to put in 20 lineups. It says that according to the buy-in, there's almost $300,000 worth of buy-ins, but the prize is only about 250,000. So there's almost $50,000 that DraftKings is taking every single time that tournament is being played. It's almost 16%. So 16% is being taken away. It's the same thing in head-to-heads. If you play a head-to-head, it's just a $5. And there's two of you guys. DraftKings takes a dollar away from every single one of those. So rake is part of the process. But is there anything that we should be aware of for tournaments or just rake in general so we're not just playing blindly? I think it depends on like your goals, right? Like we've kind of talked about that. You need to have a conversation with yourself. Like, am I in this to make as much money as possible? Or am I in this just to have a lot of fun, hang out with bets and Borg every week and just try to put a little extra cash in my bankroll. And if that's the case, like the rake probably doesn't matter as much, but if you're more of a serious DFS player, I think the other thing to look at is like, what percentage of the, the places get paid out? Like, do I need to be in the top 20%, the top 23%, the top 27 whatever and how much of the prize is going to first place because if you're trying to hit the nuts and like make money doing this you probably have to have a couple of wins in tournaments throughout the year to get there because you're embracing variance you know you're going to lose if you're playing in tournaments some weeks hopefully win more than others but you're trying to kind of hit that optimal ceiling or that you know highest outcome and some of these tournaments when you win first place it does not mean the same as winning first place in another tournament because they pay out more places or the you know the payout structure isn't quite as top heavy those sort of things so i think you need to ask yourself what are your goals and try to find those contests that meet that goal 
Shout out to 444's TJ Hernandez. He posted a graphic recently of DraftKings, you know, more well-known tournaments outside of the Millie Maker. And he just said, here's the price structures. If you don't know this, usually you'll see what is my entry fee and how much do I get for first place? But you can easily divide that up. It's actually not a hard uh, formula. And DraftKings is very clear. They post a lot of stuff. Now, they don't post always you know, every single little bit, but you can quickly figure out a lot of these things, the rake uh, and whatnot. So for instance, I, I'm going to highlight two contests that I, I think people, you can play with low risk. Uh, one of them is the DraftKings safety and it's only a $2 buy-in. You can put in up to 20 entries and the first place only gets a thousand dollars, which maybe you feel like that's not enough for me, but 10th place actually is one of the like if you get first to 10th, like if you don't hit the absolute nuts, but you get 10th place, you're actually getting a pretty good prize as well, even though the rake is pretty high at 15%. Uh, so the DraftKings safety, $2 entry. And then one other one I'll highlight, which I think is a really good uh, bar is the DraftKings nickel. And that's uh, only a $5 entry and there's three max. And if you just cash, if you hit the cash line, you can double your entry, which is not a lot of these do. So you can get your five into 10 and the field is much smaller for the nickel. It's uh, 2,378. So that's just like a field that you can say, I'm going to put in three entries and I have a good shot. So that's one that I'm going to be playing a lot. I know bets you like to do a lot of single entries. Yeah. I like the single entry because I feel like it kind of gives you a chance to, you know, like have a stronger take and get different. And then like you have huge leverage on the field if your take is correct. So I like the single entry stuff. Um, as far as people that are looking for more like, you know, cash lineups, like which ones do I enter for cash? And what does that even mean? Again, we're talking about trying to, you know, go into this tournament or this cash lineup uh, and have an idea of like, okay, here's where it's more likely that I'm going to cash. And here's where the tournaments where it's like, I have to hit the nuts. And I'm not going to cash most likely. I like to play the 50-50s because you have a huge number of people that are in there that are entering just like random lineups that don't make sense and they're not strong lineups for that type of tournament. It's also a lot of like, I don't want to be rude by saying this, more amateur players, right? Like guys that are like, oh, sweet. Like there's a there's 2,000 some people in this this contest. It must pay out great. Well, no, like you're going to win like 25 bucks. Like you're, you're trying to basically double up. So I like those because I feel like it's a way that I can win a lot more often. And then in those single entry and three max contests, again, you get a lot of people that are just entering like cash type lineups that, yeah, they might have a high floor, but that doesn't matter in a tournament. Like we want to hit the ceiling in those tournaments. So I feel like there's a lot of lineups that aren't good for that type of structure. So I like those three entry and single and single entry um, contests for that reason. Yeah. In single entry, a lot of people play I don't know, a lot of chalky plays. So, you know, we're all noobs. We're all learning. We're all in the process of a lot of things in life. But those are the ones, single entry or three max, where I think people play a little bit more conservative, where if you're having one shot, you you, you can't miss your chance. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime, right, Bets? Oh, those are words to live by. Man, I was going to just spit fire right there. I could have gone right in. I should have had a drop. You should. Dang it, Kyle. Uh, you know, vomit on your sweater. That that's 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 what, that's what this was. Um, yes, fifty fifties. Uh, I want to mention this. So we mentioned rake, which is kind of what the site takes. But there's another thing that doesn't always happen. It happens later on in the season because DFS, whether you know this or not, 
people lose interest once you get about halfway through it. Either you haven't had a good season or a lot of people will play it casually alongside a redraft. And if they're out, they kind of just lose the fever and they're just don't play it as much. So I find that overlay. So that's when a site is running a guaranteed contest. They're saying we guarantee that this will pay out no matter what. Sometimes they run contests and say, if it doesn't fill, then uh, we ain't paying, which makes sense, but they guarantee it. That means that if it doesn't fill up, we're getting them to pay the rake. Like we want DraftKings to pay the rake in the same way they help keep the lights on for all of our podcasts. Uh, we want them to invest in the rake. So overlay is something you can't know ahead of time, but it's really helpful when you get to Saturday or Sunday and you can see certain contests aren't filling. The best players in the world will say, okay, well, this has this is a plus EV contest to, to jump in. There's like plus expected value because I'm playing against less people. So overlay is something we probably will mention more. We get to like week nine or 10. And, um, and those are kind of the weeks that people kind of miss out on any, any last thoughts on contest selection? No, I don't think so. Let's jump in the mailbag. Let's do it. Mailbag. That was once again, a live mailbag drop. And I wanted to tease that because in just a couple weeks, Betts and I will be in Phoenix for the live show and probably, I don't know, the most awaited entrance meeting in, in, in history because Betts and I have actually never met each other in real life. This is true. I can't wait, man. It's coming up right around the corner. Hopefully you guys are going to be there. Um, come hang out with us. We'll be in Phoenix. I would love for us to meet. And I'm just like very distorted, like 200 pounds heavier, like not even like a couple of pounds. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like, that's not even close. Like not even close to like, what I've been talking to. Wow. That's you, huh? All right, cool. <laughs> like it's impressive from when we talk to when we meet that you're like, wow, I could ne- like you're an Olympian. And it comes to adding on weight. <laughs> I got to go hit the gym for like four weeks straight real quick to get ready for this. So we'll uh, we'll talk about that when we get closer, end of August, but it should be fun. But I have a couple questions for the mailbag and for the people. This first one comes in from at the curse fantasy. And this is a question for you bets because I know you've talked about this before. The question is, my redraft league is on the Yahoo platform, so I have some money in my Yahoo pot. Are the cash games and GPPs that Yahoo runs mostly less experienced players than DraftKings and FanDuel. The other part of the question he, he asks is just, is it easier to cash over there? And I feel like it depends on the format. Um, I don't find it to be the case, and I feel like it's because DraftKings and FanDuel, they do a great job of marketing. Like, you watch any NFL game, you're watching and you're seeing DraftKings ads, you're seeing shows, reference DraftKings Sportsbook, like that's what people are hearing and seeing. So I would almost say that you're going to get more casual people just kind of logging into DraftKings on Sunday morning to play as well as on FanDuel. Now with that caveat, I've been doing a lot of best ball on Yahoo. It is silly. It is absolutely silly. I feel like that is a huge edge over there because their default rankings are bogus. They do not line up with ADP. It's pretty inefficient ADP as far as where guys are going. So I play a lot of best ball over there. Now, with that said, I do not play a lot of DFS. So I don't know personally if it's easier to cash there per se. My instinct would say probably not. 
And it's because a lot more casual people are playing on FanDuel and DraftKings. The caveat also with Yahoo is, you know, you're not playing with the same budget that you're used to or the, the prices we talk about in DraftKings and FanDuel. Uh, there is some inconsistencies. Their budget's more like if you're playing in like an auction or what we now call salary cap leagues. So like, you know, a running back goes for $25 as opposed to we're used to McCaffrey going for 10000 So you have to do that, but it's the same premise it's the same game you're just figuring out where the inefficiencies are in the salary i personally don't play there but i have known people that have had success because they felt like the pricing is just harder to change your mind from you know a DraftKings salary system and how it's played to yahoo but yes bets has talked a lot about how best ball and the best ball rankings there are much different where underdog we would say is probably the sharpest best ball and uh the one that we play on play on the most next question is at the dillman 87 on twitter he said in cash lineups do you prefer a running back in the flex spot because of the secure volume if not what are the factors that would have you select a wide receiver love the show i would say i would like to play three running backs in cash if possible however Based off what we've been finding about wide receivers winning the flex a lot, I don't know that I'm going to prescribe to like, that's my cash strategy. I'm not going to log in every week and be like, I got to find three running backs. Here we go. I definitely want to play two running backs that are able to be projected with a lot of volume. And the times that I will see myself playing three is when there's that cheap guy because of an injury, right? Like, you know, a Tony Pollard or Alexander Madison or someone like that, where it's like, okay, this makes sense. He's going to probably see 15 to 20 touches and he's like 4.2 K. So yeah, let's roll with Dalvin cook and Derrick Henry and whoever else. Like it, that's when I will do it, but I don't say that I'm going in with that strategy because there's so many other factors, game total, Vegas total, projected volume, opportunity, et cetera, that kind of thing. Um, and as we know on DraftKings, that PPR scoring is so valuable. We want three running backs sometimes because it feels safe, but you also have to factor in not just the amount of touches. We also got to factor in, you know, is this a super popular play? Like our three running backs, are these the three running backs that everybody's playing this week? So just realize like in the flex for cash lineups, it's it's kind of like split for me. Like I'm pretty much going to do running backs a lot of weeks and wide receivers and and I I I couldn't give a hardline strategy for it, um, but we'll talk about that on the show each week, like who our specific plays are. And if we, you and I, this year are going to post our cash lineups, like, okay, here's what I'm playing this week. And uh, after, of course, lock, um, we don't want to give you guys too much of an advantage, but we'll let you guys at least see, like, here's how we did. Like, I, I'm going to be really clear. Like, here's how I did with my cash and, uh, and let people see that. So last one is from your boy, Brian Borntreger at DFS Mactron. He said, you guys have spoken about optimal contest types to enter. What's the contest you know leans towards negative EV, but you can't stop yourself from entering each week? Uh, Man, like, I don't want to be too obvious. Millie Maker is, is the answer. <laughs> like, it's not a good contest. You almost never win. There's a lot of smart people playing that maybe have a bigger bankroll that can enter 150 lineups at a not cheap price tag to do it. And you're giving yourself like a 0.0000001% chance to win when these other contests have way more of an edge. So 
to me that is the obvious answer and kyle and i talk about it like we're we're clear with you guys like every now and then it's fun to be like hey this lineup i think is really unique it could work let's enter it i'm not saying don't enter that contest i'm just saying that that is one that i think is the easiest to answer this question of like man if i could look back and tell myself like here's how you're going to save money this year bets don't enter the million maker. Like, it just seems silly. So that's a negative EV one for sure. I think this is probably a better question for you though, Kyle, because you play a lot more tournaments than I do. So what would you say here as far as the answers besides the million maker? The question should be rephrased like, how often do you feel like a dummy for <laughs> lighting your money on fire? Uh, yep. I'll say this about the million maker. Two things. One, we joke. We joke about this all the time. Like, all right, we'll win the million maker and quit our jobs. Let me be very clear. We love what we get to do. And half the fun of this is just talking every single week and getting paid to do this. And hopefully we win. So we will not retire if, uh, we win the Millie maker. Uh, I've had a couple people that have actually like said stuff about that. Like, Oh, you guys, you only care about the money. I was like, <laughs> well, yes, we you don't know win. us. <laughs> we, you know, anyway. Uh, but number two, this year, the Millie maker structure has changed. So I think DraftKings did a really smart thing from a business perspective where they said, Instead of just being the standard $20 or $25 buy-in, they've made two tiers for the Millie Maker each week. They've made a $5 tier, which has a ton of entries, and then there's a $100 tier. And that kind of weeds out players that, you know, are casual, maybe that are going to like, who's going to put in $100 just one shot at it? Like you can put for the $100 entry fee, if you wanted to, you could put 150 entries and blow $15,000 each week, which... If you have that kind of money, please come talk to us. We would love for you to join the team. Uh, we would love for you to be our friend. <laughs> the uh, Brooks won't give us any money, greedy no. man. So cheap. The $5 one, though, is going to get in a ton of casual people. And so that's going to be hard to say, and to stay disciplined in a tournament that is incredibly negative EV, has a super top-heavy payout to say, I only want, you know, to have a couple of those. Like I probably will each week because it's so low and I'll probably have at least 20 lineups in there, but I'm already drawing dead. If I'm honest, doing 20 lineups compared to someone that's going to do 150 at $5. So, uh, just realize that EV is not something expected value. We're saying, where's there an edge? There isn't an edge in the Millie maker, best players in the world. There's not an edge there. There's an edge in contests like the single entry, uh, like some of these head to heads, uh, if you're getting against casual people, that's like the best players. They just kind of post up in the lobby and get, and just pick people off. So, uh, some people like to say, if you do multiple cash lineups, that'll be better. But in my opinion, there's just way more variance there. So we subscribe to just one cash lineup in our 50 fifties and head to heads. And, uh, it also, you kind of reduce the stress of like thinking about all these different lineups, but maybe it increases it. Cause you're like, this is my lineup and uh i hope it cashes so any last thoughts on that bets no i think you said that all perfectly perfect perfect uh moving forward we are going to keep this train rolling talking about cash strategy and then gpp strategy and then we're going to devote an entire episode to showdown strategy you and i have been getting uh, some questions about that and we want to get you prepared for that first week when it is cowboys and Buccaneers. So we've got some great shows coming up. But Bets, why don't you sign off? I would love to. Thanks so much for hanging out with us, guys, this week. We'll be back next week. It is August. It is football time. Make sure you subscribe. We'll see you next week. Yeah, goodbye.
Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.